You know, as we're, we're going to be in Luke 9, so as you're getting there, we're going to read 1 through 20. But just wanted to remind you, John 14, 27 says, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, and neither let you be afraid. Man, we walk in crazy times. There's never been a time like there is today that you live in. But the greatest thing that you have is the love of Christ and the opportunity to serve. If you're not sure what that means, grab somebody around here, find a place to get plugged in. It could be meaning cleaning the bathroom, it could be making coffee. You might start an evangelism mission that goes out into the park and into the senior homes or something, but you can have an impact because that's what our Lord and Savior did. He had an impact on my life and your life by coming to serve. And that's why we live in that power of love that Christ gives. So I just want to encourage you guys to take that opportunity, man. We're, we're, it's out there, all around us. With that, John, or excuse me, Luke chapter 9. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And who will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. Herod said, John, I have beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him. And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. Then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him. And he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And he healed those who were in need of healing. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fishes, unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. Then he said to his disciples, Make them sit down in groups of fifty. And they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fishes, looking up to the heaven, he blessed and broke them, and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and the twelve baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up. And it happened as he was alone, praying that his disciples join him, and he asked them, saying, Who do the crowd say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah. And others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. And he said to him, to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. Father God, that is exactly who you are in our lives. And Lord, may we just stand fast 
Knowing that just as this chapter start, that you send us out in your power and your authority, that you raise up men and women to be about your business, Lord. That is our heart's desire to be about your business. So, Father God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us uh, as a body of Christ, as the body of Christ throughout the world in these last days, that we will go forth and proclaim your name. As our pastor comes forth, the anointed one, Lord, I pray that you would give him words through your Holy Spirit and that our hearts would be open, our eyes would see, and our ears would hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I think Jason did a great job painting a portrait for you, chapters 9, 10, and 11. If you remember... He scattered seed all over the place, right? Some of you probably still have some in your pockets. I just got to hear it, but uh, I didn't get to see it. So the, the incredible thing about that is we, we want to hold on. When Luke, well, let's say it like this. When Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John write the Gospels, we know that there are more stories than they can write down. Jesus was ministering for three years. The Gospels do not portray everything he did the gospel of john says if we wrote everything jesus did all the libraries wouldn't be able to hold it that by the way is hyperbole means jesus did a lot of things we didn't write down right are you guys with me so each one of the gospel writers he has certain accounts he focuses on and when they do there's a purpose why are they focusing on this why is this story here why are these examples laid out after it? what is it that Luke wants us to see. If you take the time to read as a unit, 8, 9, and 10, you'll see the parable of the sower in the beginning of 8. You'll see Jesus sending out the 12 in the beginning of 9. And you'll see Jesus sending out 72 in the beginning of 10. Each one is uh, has a relation back to the parable that Jesus spoke. A sower went out to sow. The next chapter, he sends out the 12 to do what? To sow. What are they going to sow? They're going to sow the same message he had. He's going to send out the 72. What are they going to do? They're going to go out and sow. He laid out for us in chapter 8 this picture, this idea, okay? If you have the light, you want to let it shine. And if you don't, maybe you don't have the light. We want to recognize there's no greater deception than self-deception, right? When we fool ourselves or convince ourselves that, that we have something that we don't have. In fact, that section, you remember it, it ends, Jason talked about it a little bit. He, he said it, it ends with this phrase, even what you think you have will be taken away. Mom, there's scary warnings in the Bible. They're not scary warnings like um, God wants to beat us with a stick. They're scary warnings because God loves you. And he wants you to look. He says, let a man examine himself. See that he is in the faith. Know that you know that you know that you have Jesus Christ. Because if you do, the beautiful thing for me, in 8, 9, and 10, guys, I just want you to understand, the disciples are still mess-ups. They haven't got it by the time 10's over. By the time we get to 10 and we talk about the 72 in a, in a couple of weeks, three weeks, I don't know when we'll get there. I can't do 58 verses. I'm sorry. Jason is a better man than me. 20, I don't even know if we'll make 20. We'll see. But as we work our way through, what I want you to recognize is they don't have it. They don't get it. They haven't learned the lesson. 
They haven't seen it all. But by the time we get to Acts chapter 4, they have. Something has changed in their life by Acts chapter 4, hasn't it? Something has occurred for them. So as we look at this message, this portrait of the sower going out to sow, we want to also understand that Luke is weaving into that narrative the identity and authority and call of the sower. The identity and authority. Did you catch what he says in 9 chapter 1? He sent out the 12 and what did he give them? Authority over demons and the ability to heal. Where did it come from? Jesus. Jesus gave him authority? Who is this? Who is this? The identity and authority and the call. These are of primary importance. We have to understand, if you don't know the sower, you can't sow with him. If you don't have him, you don't have anything to give. So when we come and we look at it, we want to recognize, centered in chapter 9, guys, we're not going to get to there today. Centered in chapter 9, we have this picture, just thrown into the middle all of a sudden of Herod saying something. What's he saying? Who is this guy? Yeah? And then, a few verses later, you have Jesus saying to the disciples, who do people say that I am? Right? And we go a little further, we're going to have the transfiguration where Jesus reveals himself to the disciples. And then we're going to get to, we're going to come through nine, we're going to get to ten, and he's going to send out seventy-two now. He sent out the twelve, then he's going to send out seventy-two. And all along the way, he's trying to get them to learn the message of the parable of the sower. A sower went out to sow. And he wants them to understand some certain things. One, who he is. And then secondly, by what authority do we do it? It ain't on ours. If it is, it's empty. It's useless. It needs to be according to his authority. So in chapter 9, he's going to ask this question. He wants to ask the question, who is Jesus? Who is he? Because if you know him, you won't hide your light. Who is the one who has called us to be fishers of men? Consider for a moment, chapter 8. Who is this? Who can calm the storm? Who is this? Who is he? Psalm 89.8 says, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Who is this who can calm the waves? Who is this that has power over demons and authority to give it to other people? Who is this? Luke 8.30 said, Jesus then asked them, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for we are many. For many demons had entered him. And what did they do? They begged him, Do not cast us into the abuso. You want to know what the abuso is? Read Jude, verse 6, I think. It says that there are angels in everlasting chains awaiting judgment. Who is this that has power over the fallen angels and then can grant that power to others? Luke 10.19, we won't get there today, but Luke 10.19 says this, Behold, this is Jesus speaking, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing can hurt you. Who is this? Who is this sower? This is the question of chapter 9. 
The message of sowing hinges on us knowing who is He? Who is this one that we follow? Who is this who can make the unclean clean by them touching Him? Who is this? In Ezekiel chapter 36 says, Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited, the waste places will be rebuilt, and the land that was desolate will be tilled, instead of being a desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. Luke 5.12 says, While he was in the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Who is this? That a woman, unclean for 12 years, unable to be made clean by mankind, is able to touch him and become clean? Who is this? This is the story is telling us. Who is this? Who raises the dead? Luke 7, 22, he answered him and said to them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have the good news preached to them. Who is this? Who can walk up to a little girl dead in her bed and say to her, Talitha kumi, little child, arise. And she gets up. Who is this? Who is this in Luke chapter 9 verse 1? Who calls the twelve together and says to them, He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. This is the mission. This is the mission. He says, okay, come here guys. He calls the twelve. I want you to remember who's in the twelve. Is this only eleven of them? So Judas is here? Wow. And Jesus gave him authority over demons and the power to cure diseases. They're going to go out two by two. But all this mission centers on something. It centers on the call. It centers on the call that Jesus had given them previously. Hey, you, come what? Follow me. Follow me. It hinges on that. It hinges on that reality. Mark 3.13 says, He went up on a mountain and called to Him those whom He desired, and they came. And He appointed twelve whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Sound familiar? Mark chapter 6, verse 7, He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He charged them, take nothing for their journey except uh, a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart. And if, if any place will not receive you, they will not listen to you. When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Matthew 4.18 says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, t- he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter and Andrew, casting a net on the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you 
fishers of men. That's the call. The commandments of God are His enablements. If God calls us to do, to move, to go, then He has equipped us for this journey. He's given us what we need. Now here, we're not going to see it. In, in Luke 8, 9, and 10, we're going to see Jesus move in power and authority. We're going to see the disciples be knuckleheads. Because that's the better reflection of you and I, No? But when we get to Acts chapter 4, here's what they're going to say. They're going to look at Peter and John, who have been brought before the same ruling people who crucified Christ within days of the crucifixion. They're going to come before that same ruling group, and they're going to look at them, and they're going to say, Wow! In Acts 4.13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived their uneducated, common men, They were astonished, but they recognized something else too, huh? They had been with Jesus. Yeah, now the light was starting to be reflected. Now the seed was being sown. Now they're moving forward in the power. Now Jesus gave them power previously, but they had to come to know who He was. They had to know who is this one who is calling us. Who is the one who is empowering us? It's not magic. It's not faith in faith. There's not a magic word called faith. And if I just believe hard enough, it happens. Faith must have an object. Who is your faith in? Who is this one who calls Because this mission that they're called to is completed by His power, isn't it? It's completed by His power. He gave them authority. He gave them power. In Acts 1.8 it says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my martus. You will be my living sacrifice. Martus is a word from which we get the word martyr. You will be my witness. You'll be my witnesses. Stay here until you have the power. The power that Jesus promised to the disciples. That changes them from the guys we read about in Luke 8, 9, and 10. And a little later, we're going to get to chapter 20 in Luke. And you're going to think, man, they've been walking with Jesus a long time. And they're going to be walking around arguing about who's the greatest. Who's more important. Who's the best. Yeah, we know Jesus at the top. But, you know, they got to fight over who's number two. Who's number three? Who's number four? Where, where's our ranking? Where do I land in all of this? they got to go through to that resurrection day. And the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that rests on them. And after that, they're not ever going to be the same again. Because they know who called. They know who It's not a theory, it's not a concept, it's not an idea. They have faith in the one who is calling them. Look at the thing that they're sent to do. The twelve are sent in verse 2. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. To proclaim the kingdom of God is already and not yet. Isn't that a confusing message? The kingdom of God is already and not yet. Jesus is here. He would say to them, the kingdom of God is here. It's among you. Because wherever Jesus is, there's the kingdom of God. 
But there's also a sense in which the kingdom of God isn't here yet. Our king's feet is not on the ground. Right? Our king's feet, hopefully, are settled firmly on the throne of our life. But not physically on this ground. He is already, but not yet. The kingdom of God is at hand. So what was the message in the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is here. What did John the Baptist say? So do what? Repent. Repent. Stop what you're doing. And listen for the voice of the one who will say, Come and follow me. Come and follow me. They went to preach and proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. They herald the kingdom. So basically, guys, they're walking through like a herald. The kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God has come. Repent. And then as people would come to them, the sick. And again, this is so, to me, this is so vital for us to get. Because we, we wrap our minds around, I think, the wrong picture of healing. Jesus heals. Absolutely. He's healed me, for crying out loud. He's done incredible miracles in my life. But that's not the point. The point of the, the, the miracles and the healing was not to make our life better or easier. The point of the healing was to proclaim to the people that Jesus Christ can make us whole. That Jesus Christ makes us complete. That He can take that which is broken inside me and make it right. The proclamation to all the people, the reason the Pharisees struggled so much, is they don't need healed. That's what they think. Because their disease was where? Inside. Everybody can't see it. The leper is easy to see. The prostitute, I can see. The the thief, the murderer, I can see all that. Jesus wants us to know, through the work of the disciples, He's saying the kingdom is here, and Jesus Christ, who's given us authority, we're not here by our own, right? Jesus Christ, who has given us authority, can make you whole. That message is still true. Jesus Christ can make you whole. Jesus Christ can heal you of your diseases. But He's the healer. Not me. I don't care what title somebody puts in front or after their name. There is only one healer. And that is God Almighty. Jesus Christ. He gives to each as He wills. For some of us, He gives us strength for the journey. For others, He heals us from the difficulties on the journey. It's not all the same, but it is all accomplishing His goal, which is what? The heralding, the proclaiming, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is already and not yet. It's here in me, and it's coming. It's here in me, and it's coming. So this is the message they go out. Listen to the attitude. He tells them have verse 3. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bread, no bag, nor money. Do not have two tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. First thing we see are the resources. In, in essence, he says, don't take anything. The word for staff, it means a new staff. You'll notice that that you have uh, in Mark, it says, just take your staff. In, in Luke, it says, don't take a staff. It's, not, it's don't take a new one. Don't go, get, don't go buy a bunch of stuff for this trip. 
Don't get a staff, not a bag, not bread, not any of these things. You need to recognize that your resources are wholly and completely in Christ. Or, they're wholly and completely in you. And which one really has power? Now, are you sure? Because most of the time, I want to solve all my problems by throwing money in it. Our nation's still trying to solve all our problems by throwing money at it. The answer is not any of those things. He, when he sends out the disciples as sowers, when he sends them out, he says, make sure your resources are me. We see a picture of it in the Old Testament. You guys remember when uh, the, 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 the children of Israel made a golden calf? Everybody know the story? Dance around a golden calf. I don't have to tell everybody what happened. So they dance around this golden calf. Well, afterwards, there's this judgment. And Moses stands up and it says that the, the tribe of Levi stands with him to do what God asked them to do. A bunch of people are going to eat gold. Doesn't seem like a good part of your diet, but I don't know. So Levi stands with him. Here's what God does because Levi stands with him. He says to Levi, the tribe of priests... I will be your inheritance forever. I'm not going to give you land. I'm not going to give you stuff. I'm not going to give you things. I'm going to give you me. Now, what has he called us as the church? We are a kingdom of priests. We are a kingdom of priests. Who is our inheritance? What is our treasure? Jesus Christ. What are our resources? Jesus Christ. Alfred Edersheim, who wrote several books, Jesus the Messiah, The Life and Times uh, uh, of Jesus Messiah, and uh, Sketches of a Jewish Social Life, says that this phrase that we just read about not taking these things is a Hebrew idiom, a figure of speech. It was a concept. It was a rabbinical rule that they were not to bring any of these things into the temple because they didn't want to be engaged in any other business when they came before God, just His business. So in essence, He's saying to the disciples, yeah, don't, don't, don't multitask. Do one thing. David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that I might know Him, see Him, that I would have him. This desire to have this greatest treasure. In Luke twenty-two thirty-five, Jesus looking back on this moment. He says to them. When I sent you out with no money bag, knapsack or sandals. Did you lack anything? And they said nothing. In what are you tapped? What is your resource? Is your resource you, your abilities? Do you trust in you? Paul would say when he came, I didn't come with flowery speech. In fact, most people, when they thought about Paul, they would say that Barnabas was a better speaker. Paul was boring. Paul was so boring, people fell asleep. He didn't know when church was supposed to end. He would keep going all night long. A poor guy fell asleep in a window, fell out the window, landed in the street and died. <laughs> Paul goes over, touches the guy who's dead in the street, brings him to life, goes back in and keeps preaching. <laughs> he says, I didn't come to you of my own. I didn't come to you with fancy speech. I don't, I'm not trying to use tricks of oration. I came to you in the power of God. 
the gospel. What is our resource that we are tapped into? Man, we need to be tapped into Christ. And then what's our response? Are you responsible to make the seed grow? What are you responsible to? Throw it out. So when somebody rejects you, what what does the Lord say? They're not rejecting you. They are rejecting me. So don't be a duck, man. Let that water roll off your back. How did they say it? Shake the dust off your feet. Shake the dust off your feet. Say, look, you don't want to hear? Fine. Boom, I'm going next. 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 Going on, sharing, scattering seed. Because it's the seed that's going to bring forth a harvest. And it's God who is Lord of the harvest. Isn't He? So our job, scatter seed. Our job, water. Our job, fertilize. Our job, do everything we can to get the seed out and let God bring forth the fruit. So He says, just rest in letting me do the work. How many times do we stop from being willing to scatter seed because we don't think we have the answer? He's going to ask me a question I can't answer. Let me just give you permission now. It's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay. I don't know. It's far better than trying to make something up on the cuff, just so you know. Jesus would tell his disciples, don't worry about how you're going to answer. I'll give you an answer when it's time. Pour the word of God in. You'll have seed to sow. Let the word of God come in. You'll have seed to sow. Sow that seed. If all we ever did was just walk out on the street and read the Bible to people, it would be enough. Probably more than enough. Because it's the word of God that brings life. We see in Acts chapter 13 this same thing, the response. What do I do if they don't want to receive it? It says, And the word of the Lord was spreading through the whole region in Acts 13, 49. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and leading men of the city to stir up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. So they shook off the dust of their feet and went to Iconium. Why make this hard? Don't worry about it. Shake the dust off your feet. Be a duck. Let the water run off your back. They unfriended me. Uh, There's worse things in life. So be unfriended. They don't want to talk to me no more. Well, shake the dust off your feet and keep going. You may not be the one who's going to reach that person, right? You're just scattering seed. First time the seed came on me, maybe it found good ground and it sprouted up but later on in my life it kind of shriveled up and blew away my heart got hard toward the lord it took a few other sowers to see the fallow ground of my heart receive fruit it isn't your job it's the lord of the harvest job our job so so Sow that seed. Now, we come here, we see the story, and we're all tracking, and we're saying, yeah, man, this this falls around like what Jason said a couple of weeks ago. And then they go out, and they're doing the work, and right on. What's next? We jump to Herod. Doesn't that put on the brakes when you read? Do you think that's an accident? 
Do you think as you're rolling through and you're seeing this flow happen, and all of a sudden Luke throws a parenthesis in there, and he throws in a little paragraph and slams on the brakes of all the momentum you've been making, he's going to get back to it right after this. There's a point. He wants you to not forget what he's been asking, the question he's been asking. Who is this? Isn't that what that paragraph is all about? If you look at it in verse 7 of of Luke 9, it says, Now Herod, the Tetrarch, means the third ruler, heard about all that was happening. He was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. This is the first time Luke has told us that John's dead. Herod's like, John's dead. What's going on? What's all this ruckus? What are all these people gathering about? John's gone. And some people were saying, well, John rose from the dead again. He's back. Or others are saying Elijah has appeared. And others that one of the prophets from of old has risen. So Herod said, John, I beheaded. Listen to the question. Who is this about whom I hear such things? Who is this? That's what Luke wants you to see. Who is this? Who is Jesus? Who is he is the most important question you or I are ever going to answer in our life. And the words we say about it will be the easy part. Who is he? Is he your God and King? Because Jesus would say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and what? And not do the things that I say. Who is he? Just a habit? Like some in the world would say, a crutch we lean on. Herod is saying, who is this guy? And he sought to see him. He's curious. Who is this? In Luke chapter 23, verse 8, he's going to see him. It says, when Herod saw Jesus, he was glad, for he had long desired to see him. Now let me ask you a question. Did Herod really want to see Jesus? Let me tell you how hard it would have been. Herod lives in Galilee. And Jesus spent most of his three years in ministry in Galilee. You know, you might actually have to get off your couch and walk outside if you want to see him. It wasn't hard to find him. There was a bunch of people shouting and and rejoicing, lame, leaping like a deer, blind, talking about being able to see Oh, I just, I, I just want to see him. I want to understand him. I want to know him. Is that real? Because for Herod, it wasn't real. Is it for you? Do you know him? Do you want him? Because it's not hard to have. But it might require a little something from us. A little more than speaking magic words. There might be a cost involved. Stay tuned. That's in chapter 9 too. As we take a look, he moves then again to the ministry of the disciples. Okay, now we've had this thing. We're we're once again thinking, who is this? Look at verse 10. So on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. They must have been so excited. 
They get done, they come back, and man, Lord, let us tell you all the stuff that we did. And so they go away to be by themselves. A little special time. The twelve disciples and Jesus. Oh, it's like they're going to have a retreat. They got away, right, from the people and they gathered together. And I'm sure the disciples are thinking, man, we've really been working hard these last few days. So we need a break. So Jesus took them to Bethsaida and I bet they're thinking, this is it. We got a break. <clears throat> What's the next verse? When the crowds learned, they followed him. Oh, man, then pesky people that don't have Jesus yet. Those unsaved won't stop bugging me. <laughs> Do you hear them? Man, they're saying they followed him, and he, Jesus, welcomed them. And what did he do? Look, don't miss this part. He spoke to them of the kingdom and cured those who needed healing. What does that verse say? This is what it says. The mission wasn't over. When are you done as a sower? They think they're done. They think I went and did my thing, right? I went and we did our thing and we, we had this power flowing through us and it was so cool. And now they want to retreat with Jesus and, and just spend time with Him. And the people follow Him because, wow, that's what the people were intended to do. And where were they supposed to lead the people? To Jesus. And what happened? That happened. They weren't even trying. They lead the people to Jesus and they come to Jesus and, and, and the disciples, I think, are getting a bad attitude. You're going to see it in just a second. They're getting a bad attitude, but Jesus, what is he? He's moved by compassion for lost. Can you remember where you came from? Before you knew Christ? And can you stay connected to that? Can you stay connected to how Jesus was long-suffering, how he pursued you? I love that, that song, Reckless Love, how, how God... There's nothing he wouldn't do. There's no place he wouldn't go to get a hold of me. I was in some dark places and he was always there. Always whispering in my ear, come back. I have to remember that. Because I want to give up on people. Anybody ever felt like giving up on somebody? Yeah, I'm going to give up. These people, they don't going to get it. They're just not going to get it. Forget them. Forget them. I've been sowing seed around them, and I'm tired of sowing seed around them. I just need a break. I'm going to go get a break. I need a break. I'm going to go get a break. So we develop this, this kind of an attitude. We see this thing coming through. But look, Jesus is saying to them by his actions, he's saying to the disciples, Hey guys, I never told you the mission was over. What was Jesus doing? When they came, the disciples want to be with Jesus, but what's Jesus teaching them? The kingdom of God. What were the disciples supposed to teach? Kingdom of God. What was Jesus doing? He's healing them. What were the disciples supposed to be doing? Oh, wow. What do you, that's crazy, isn't it, that it's the exact same thing? The exact same thing is going on? Then we see Jesus demonstrating that proper heart. He was moved with compassion, so he welcomed them. Look at verse 12. Now the day began to wear away. You had days like that before? Where the day is wearing away. Some of you are saying, this day is one of those days. <laughs> Sorry. The day's wearing away. Man, I'm just sick of this day. And the twelve came to him and said, send this crowd 
away. Get them out of here. Make them go home. Make them go away. Why? They need to find lodging and provision. We're in a desolate place. When the disciples were sent out, what did God tell them to take? Nothing. What do they still have with them? They have everything they need. The same resource is still there. Same resource that gave them the power to cast out demons, to heal the sick, still there. They have everything. That crowd has nothing. They have everything. Freely you have received. Freely give. What's Jesus going to say to them? He said to them, He said to them, Give them something to eat. Now, I think the disciples are testy. You ever read like sound of voice when you read the Bible? Give them something to eat. Lord, you told me not to bring bread. You told me not to bring money. How am I supposed to give them something to eat? Because the resource that you have really doesn't have anything to do with food. You have what they need. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Hey, they're going to learn this lesson in Acts chapter 3. They're going to have it down by Acts chapter 3. They're going to recognize it. Their resources were endless. Though they were sure they had nothing. Because they had Jesus. How long had it been since they were on that boat in the middle of the ocean with the waves? And Jesus just said, peace! And it all stopped. How long had it been since they were out fishing? And Jesus said, why don't you throw the net on the other side of the boat? How dumb is that? You know where the net goes no matter what side of the boat you throw it? It's not like there's fish over there and not on the other side. You know who taught me that? Don MacArthur. We go fishing with Don. I haven't been fishing enough with him now. He, I know he like me to go fishing more. So when I'm gone fishing, you'll know why. So I go out with Don, and Don can stand on the front of the boat, the back of the boat, the left side of the boat, the right side of the boat, and he'll pull fish out all day. I cannot find a fish nowhere. I'm pretty sure there's no fish under the water. And Don will look at me and say, I don't know what's wrong with you, Jackie. Maybe you should pray. <laughs> the fish are down there. Jesus said, throw the net on the other side. Throw the net on the other side. Woo, what do they pull up? Oh, a bunch of fish. Oh. Weren't they just with them a couple days earlier when they walked over to this guy's house where their mourners are weeping and Jairus' daughter is laying in bed dead? The mourners actually scorn him because they're like, oh, look, she's dead, dude. You can't do nothing now. And didn't they just hear him say, Talitha Kumi, little one rise, and she gets up? What do you mean they don't have nothing? But isn't that how we think sometimes? Well, I don't have nothing to give. I'm out of gas. I just don't have any more energy. They suck the life out of me. 
whatever. If that's true, you're not tapped into the source because Jesus don't run out of juice. Jesus is not gassed. Jesus is a source of endless power. In the past, in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 42, a man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, give it to the men so they can eat. His servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, give it to the men. Give it to the men so they can eat, for thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So this is not a new thing. Happening kings. It's part of their history. God's provision for the people. But in a few years, so the disciples are struggling, they're mad and they're bitter and they're angry, just like we get. But in a few years, that's totally going to change. Because in Acts chapter 3, guys, they get it. In Acts chapter 3, they're getting it. Look, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the temple, at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I don't got no money. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I'll give you. What did he have? Jesus. He had everything he needed. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the man who had been lame at the gate, beautiful... That Jesus Christ had walked by himself is touched by Peter and John. Why? Because they get it now. A sower went out to sow. And he's always ready to sow. And he always has something to sow. And he never knows what kind of field the field is, but it doesn't stop him from sowing. He's going to sow. He's going to cast that seed. He's not going to think about what he doesn't have. He's going to give them what he does. And for that man, it was everything. Look at what Jesus says in verse 14 in Luke 9. Now there were about 5,000 men. He said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so. He had them all sit down. And taking five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing over them. And he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set it before the crowd. Little is much... In the hands of the Lord. You don't got to have a lot of strength. In fact, one of the greatest encouragements in the book of Revelation is to a church, uh, the persecuted church, which the Lord says, you have a little strength, but it's enough. Because little is much in the hands of the Lord. I remember, I told you before, in a single wire trailer, kneeling beside a couch, saying to God, I don't got nothing. I screwed up everything. I, I, don't, I don't know if, if me and Kathy or the baby's going to live. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what I got, but whatever I got is yours. It's yours. That was a turning point. Because little is much 
in the hands of the Lord. So what does Jesus do? He takes it, he lifts it before the Father, and he blesses it. Now go. Now go. Go. Feed them. What's it say in verse 17? They all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. Lots of leftovers. Twelve baskets. We can, we can talk about what the twelve baskets mean. I don't know why you would. Luke didn't spend a lot of time. He just said there's twelve baskets. Immediately he goes to something else. What is it? The next part of the story, immediately, what's he moved to? Remember Herod? Who is this? Who is this? Who is this? Who is this? What's the next thing that he lays out before us? He's saying, man, the disciples, you've got to have faith if you're going to sow seed. You've got to have faith, but not just empty faith, not just faith in faith, not just that word believe tattooed on your forehead. You've got to have faith in who? Who is he? Look at what Jesus says next. Now it happened as he was praying alone. The disciples were with him and he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? Do the crowds got it figured out? They said, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others, one of the prophets that has arisen. Same thing that Herod had heard. Then Jesus asked them the most important question. Who do you say I am? Who am I? Now listen. Peter has been going through this for a while. And he still has some time he's going to do with Jesus, right? Jesus, when Peter, when he, when he led Peter to that catch, cast your net on the other side. You remember what Peter said? Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. He sees something. At the storm, when Jesus calms the storm, what do they say? Who is this? Who speaks and the waves obey. Now Peter says, you are the Christ, son of the living God. You are the Christ of God. You are the Mashiach Nagid. You are the Messiah King. You're the one who's promised. Let me just say, that was the easy part. What's the hard part? Of living that way. Do you live like Jesus is the Christ? Do you live like He's God? Do you live like He has given you authority and power? Do you live like He is watching over me? Do you live like He's our source of resource? Do you live that way? Words are the easy way. It's, we get the easy part done with. We say, I believe. How do I know Peter believed? When Jesus said to him, Peter, Peter looks at Jesus and says, Lord, if you bid me come, I can walk on the water. How do I know Peter believed? Got out of the boat. People give the other disciples grief. Jesus didn't call them out the boat. Who did he call out? Peter. Don't go jumping out of a boat unless God called you out of the boat. You will sink faster than Peter did. I know I believe when I put my weight into him. When I put my hand into his hand. Long time ago, last story, I promise. I, I, I meant to be done early today. Sorry. Um, 
I don't know how long ago. I'm an old man. A long time ago, I was a youth pastor. And um, I was in Mexico, and I punched a kid in the eye. Right now, Kathy's saying, you're not really going to tell that story, are you? <laughs> yeah. I punched a kid in the eye. And I, we don't have to get into it. Does, none of that part matters. Here's the part I want you to get. I, I punched him in the eye in the middle of Mexico. He run, we're nowhere in Mexico. And down at the end of the Baja. He takes off running into the desert. I, I go the other way because I'm pretty sure I'm about to kill all the kids. This is why I'm not a youth pastor anymore. So I, uh, I go, and I'm sitting in the other room, and I'm, it just takes me five minutes, ten minutes to calm down, and then panic starts to set in, you know. Now i got to stand on the carpet, right? You don't get to sweep that stuff under a rug. You can tell. I punched him in the eye. So, so I come out, and I don't know where he's at. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, um, I don't know where Ryan is. I come out, and I, and I, everywhere along the way I'm praying, God, um, I don't know where to go. I'm literally, we're nowhere. You could go every direction and not run into another building. Anywhere. I have no idea where he went. So we take off. And I'm, and I'm looking for him, and I'm like, I don't even know what I'm going to do. I don't know how, I don't know how I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't know how I'm going to make this right. I don't know how, I don't know how I can uh, get his trust back. That's kind of a big breach of trust. <laughs> and uh, so I'm, so I, anyways, I'm walking through the desert, and I'm just praying, God tell me. And literally, I would come up somewhere, and Lord, I don't know where to go, and I would just go where I felt like. And uh, so I walked out there for, you know, and it, it may, the Lord may have took me a long way. I don't know. But about 10, 15 minutes walking around in the desert, I find him. So I walk up to him. I'm like, oh, man. And he's all upset and, and he's angry, right? And uh, I'm thinking, uh. so on the way to him, I told God, I, look, I trust you, God, so I'm just going to do, I'm just going to try to do the next right thing. I, I'm not sure what it is. I'm just going to try to do that. So I get up to him, and he's super mad. And uh, he says, uh, you know, I can't, how am I going to, how am I going to trust you? Hit me. You hit me. And, uh, all these things, such a nightmare that night. And so um, I said, well, I just want to make it right. What do I got to do to make it right? What I got to do to make it right? He said, I, I got to hit you back. <laughs> so I said, all right. So I put my hands in my pocket. Swing away. And he hit me for all he was worth. Right after that, he fell into my arms just weeping. And I knew we were okay. Now, we had a lot of drama to work our way through. That was not the end. I, did, I had to explain to his mom how he got a black eye going to, going to Mexico on a mission trip. 
And he had like six brothers. I had to explain to them. And his dad. There was lots of fun still to come. But we did all that. We did whatever was right. Not because we're perfect, but because I said, Jesus, my king. So I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do, Lord. I mess up. You show me the way. And I knew me, you know, me and his mom wouldn't be okay for a while. Me and his dad wouldn't be okay. Me and his brothers, some of his brothers were still not okay today. But me and Ryan, we're okay. We're okay because it was more than words. It was more than just a flipping thing. It was, look, dude, for real, I'm sorry. Whatever you got to do and however we got to do it, we'll find our way back. That's the kind of commitment Jesus Christ needs from his soldiers. I'm yours, hands and feet. Where you tell me to go, I'll go. And when I go, I'll sow seed. And I won't be too proud to tell you any story. I told you I was a knucklehead. Now you know the truth. (laughs) We want to have an attitude of humility and total openness to God. Most important question, who do you say he is? The words is the easy part. The hard part, the next part in chapter 9, read ahead. The cost of discipleship. We'll get there next week. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time and the opportunity we have to come before you. We thank you for who you are, Lord Jesus. And I pray, God, that we can begin to see, as we work our way through the story, as we see all the pieces in these chapters fitting together, as we see this concept laid out before us, who is Jesus? His call for us to be sowers. The Son of Man is giving us the example. He's sowing. Watch what he does. Come and follow me. Go, twelve. I give you power to do the things that you need to do. The Lord Jesus Christ said at the end of the gospel, Go, therefore, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them, and know this, I am with you every step of the way. God, help us see, help us know, help us realize all the truth that your word lays out for us, God, that we would desire to walk the reality, that we would walk worthy of the answer to this phrase, who do you say I am? God be glorified in this place, in Jesus' name. Amen.